Welcome to Startup Confidential, what industry insiders will never tell you that you need to know if you're building a consumer brand. With your host, best-selling author of Ramping Your Brand, Dr. James Richardson. Let's do this. Welcome to episode 82, Liquid Death, the latest skate ramp winner. My 14-year-old son doesn't get it, and neither did I initially. We're not the audience for Liquid Death, it appears. We rarely consume bottled water anyways, so that accounts for most of the disconnect. Why do such extreme branding in a boring category, many have asked? Because it's boring, that's why. (laughs) To get attention for a low-awareness brand. And because nobody takes any risks in bottled water. So bold is wide open. Unlike alcohol or beer. Everyone is so damn serious in water. Everything is functional, like Essentia, or status-oriented, like Fuji. I can't think of a better case study for Marty Neumeier's positioning theory than liquid death. When they zig, you zag. Check out Marty's book of the same name. Pick a unique underserved audience and design for them. Start with the consumer. It also might help to really know the audience well, like Mike did. Honestly, this is the story of some of the most successful premium consumer brands, where the founder was the initial audience. Gary Erickson of Cliff Bar is perhaps the best well-known in the food space. Most consumer brands scale based on attribute-based symbolism. I explain this in my book, Ramping Your Brand, not just by selling into retailers, but some of the most successful of these otherwise attribute-driven brands used very clever marketing techniques to get awareness amongst highly predisposed folks, an audience that they knew well and knew how to talk to. In order for marketing to really work well, it needs to build awareness months and years ahead of purchase for an emerging brand. And this is precisely where everything gets completely ass-backwards in early-stage brand building. The culprit? Well, historically, the primary social network to find stakeholders and assistance as an amateur CPG entrepreneur has been a series of trade shows we all know well. In fact, Expo East 2022 just wrapped up. A trade show, folks, is where the sales teams get the spotlight. And before e-commerce became 10% or so of premium CPG sales, retail brick sales have always had an advantage in dominating the growth conversation in a CPG startup. When you're only in 200 stores, it's pretty obvious that you'll need to add a whole lot more stores if you want to be the next Annie's or Pop Chips or buy. Brands can and have expanded velocities from 1 USW to 40 USW, but not to 10,000 USW (laughs) units per store per week. Not even Frito-Lay could do that. And because of this largely institutional bias towards sales as the primary growth lever, the operational energy required to grow accounts in this way, and ACV, all of this combines to overwhelm most small teams, especially when they're new to the industry. And it's basically all they end up doing. In the process, what the hell gets lost? Awareness building. Awareness building gets relegated to stale IG posts and B2B PR. And some obligatory founder demo earning at this or that retailer. By the time that marketing 
has a dedicated budget with a non-founder as the lead, sales has already built the business and taken advantage of whatever intrinsic design advantages the core products have already revealed to the public. Sales basically gets the resources first in consumer startups. So it's not shocking that what emerges is a really lopsided sales-dominant internal culture. Any scrap of unexpected profit gets sent straight to the trade marketing budget, often for years, and it's vigorously defended. Clearly, direct-to-consumer is upending this balance of power in phases one through three. And liquid death, folks, has been the most dramatic example of focusing on marketing spend initially to see if they could even generate virality, which would then move traffic to a website and then get pre-orders. It was a very smart scientific approach, by the way, but not something I'd necessarily recommend outside of a category like, well, water, where brand identity alone has billions in market share to play with. If we step back and think about it as Mike did, bottled water sells with no real symbolic processing by the consumer other than trademark recognition and price. And I'm talking about the bulk of the category, which is the crappy plastic brands. You know, the trademarks you don't even remember. Yes, there are value-added segments. There's mineral water with Perrier. There's alkaline with Essentia and specialty origin water like Fuji. And they all have their leaders. But most bottled water is consumed as mindless hydration and purchased on price, making it the epitome of a mindless consumer category. It began, folks, and everyone's forgotten this, primarily as a portable water solution for soccer moms in the 1990s. In Arizona, we keep this stuff in our vehicles to save our lives if our car breaks down between Tucson and Phoenix. Hey listeners, exponential growth involves more than a killer product, great fundraising, and a great team. You need superb analytics to ride the ramp. Dr. Richardson's latest online course is now available, Effective Consumer Marketing for Early Stage Founders. You can find course pricing and details at premiumgrowthsolutions.com courses. And now back to the episode. Starting with millions available for advertising like Mike did is not generalizable to most startups, sure. But Liquid Death demonstrates what happens when you build a frenzy of highly memorable awareness years ahead of showing up in someone's local store. First, the true core audience for Liquid Death bought directly off the website early on. They reacted to viral video. And it still took Liquid Death over a year to get its store count up into the thousands. Even with $9 million in Series A funding on board in February of 2020, retail just has built-in inertia you can't get past, even without a pandemic. But this structural delay only gave Liquid Death PR and advertising machine more time to soak our minds ahead of its arrival. Brilliant. The brand has now turned on its most recent 20,000 doors among young people preloaded with slogan and trademark and the brand identity. Founders don't need to do this level of advanced advertising and PR to get exponential growth, but it does show how marketing can actually lead the sales team and make it work even better when you're sufficiently capitalized early on and sufficiently brave. What liquid death ironically reveals to me is that the old sales-dominant team cultures of natural CPG companies are more a result of initial undercapitalization than a true necessary way of doing things. When you're broke, B2B retail sales does seem like the best way to place your bet. Now, this isn't always the case for those who can't get meetings because they run out of time to generate performance metrics that attract money and allow them to keep the lights on. 
Historically, the marketing talent available to early-stage consumer brands was anemic at best. Often, there was a person who was, quote, head of sales and marketing. And we all know that he, and it was always a guy, favored the former and knew little about the latter, and probably made fun of it. In the past 15 years, however, a mass exodus of trained talent has left major ad agencies and started their own agencies. But increasingly, these creative refugees are starting consumer brands in categories that do lean heavily on brand identity, or at least require pretty clever arguments to communicate difficult emerging solutions to everyday problems. Still, the average marketing person at early stage companies, even today, is more interested in marketing than great at doing it. And they simply lack the training environment to accelerate learning. Moreover, no one is enforcing known behavioral metrics to put the pressure on early stage marketers to deliver the powerful creative that hooks emotionally and tells a persuasive story the way that Liquid Death's ads did. The best CPG salespeople can tailor their pitch to the buyer in question. They do it mostly by listening and asking upfront questions at the initial meeting. They also do a lot of pre-meeting research and rehearsal. In a similar way, marketing has always benefited from audience-specific empathy, usually because the founder was part of the audience. <laughs> I still meet, though, far too many folks running startup marketing who have no behavioral insights on their fans and think that their job is simply to amplify the company's definition of what the brand means to as many people as possible. No one has informed these poor folks that this is not how effective marketing works, and it definitely is not how you do marketing on a budget. What Liquid Death reminds us is that building awareness before distribution in very crowded categories like bottled water can generate very fast exponential growth. In their case, four years to 100 million. But to do this, you have to pull off amazingly cunning creative messaging, and branding. Recently, much of this very powerful and effective work has been male-oriented, but to me that is an accident, more or less, of folks trying to serve underserved audiences. Or maybe it's not an accident. That's all I've got for this time, folks. Remember, as always, be safe out there. Thanks for listening. Remember, Dr. Richardson has loads of resources for founders at premiumgrowthsolutions.com. And when you're on his site, don't forget to take his founder's quiz and see if you're ready to ride the skate ramp of exponential growth.